This program is presented by Birch Gold Group, the precious metal IRA specialists. Good morning. In today's headlines, the fire at an Indiana industrial plant blazes on. Smoke from burning plastics is in the air. What are officials doing about it? A federal judge has ruled on the Biden administration's Waters of the United States rule. Critics call the rule government overreach. Former UK Prime Minister Liz Truss delivers some stern words about President Emmanuel Macron's recent visit to China. Find out what she thinks about looking to a communist regime for a resolution to the conflict in Ukraine. Chinese classical dance group Shen Yun is winning hearts around the world. But beyond the stage lights, some artists' families are facing life-threatening oppression in China. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. And I'm Tiffany Meyer, in for Evelyn Lee. Today is Thursday, April 13th. The fire at a recycling plant in Indiana could burn until Saturday. That's what the local fire chief is guessing, as firefighters continue to battle the blaze. The large cloud of smoke have residents concerned about their health. An evacuation order affecting over 1,000 people remains in place. NDD's Jeremy Sandberg has more on what officials are doing about it. The industrial fire in Richmond, Indiana was so large at one point that smoke could be seen from space. City officials say they knew the site was a fire hazard and the building owner ignored orders to clean up the property. The Environmental Protection Agency, or EPA, says they're monitoring air quality and other environmental impacts in the area. EPA was on site within hours of the fire and overnight we began monitoring at 15 mobile monitoring locations. EPA Administrator Michael Regan says federal personnel are helping state and local first responders with the emergency response efforts. We're following the situation very closely and we'll continue to provide the community with any assistance that they need. Regan says a team is collecting debris samples in surrounding communities to find out if asbestos-containing materials may have left the site. The on-scene EPA coordinator says no toxic compounds have been detected from air samples outside the evacuation area and into part of Ohio. The local fire chief looked to extinguish rumors of the fire being left to burn and says the fire department is trying to put it out. He says the blaze is contained but not under control. The chief has set a goal to finish dousing flames by Saturday morning, but he says that's just a guess. Close to 2,000 people in a half-mile radius were told to leave their homes after the fire began Tuesday. An evacuation order remained in place Wednesday night. President Biden has offered additional federal assistance to respond to the fire if needed. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. In politics, Justin Pearson has been reappointed to fill his seat in the Tennessee House of Representatives. This follows his expulsion last week after he and two other Democrats brought a gun reform protest to the House floor. Pearson's fellow ousted Democrat, Representative Justin Jones, was reinstated on Monday. House Republicans said the protest violated House rules. However, Pearson and fellow Democrat Gloria Johnson say the issue is about race. Pearson spoke to a crowd of supporters yesterday. The people's verdict is back. Guilty of white supremacy. Guilty of patriarchy. Guilty of supporting the NRA over people. Guilty of attacking the poor. Guilty of not expanding health care. Guilty of not giving us educational resources. Guilty, guilty, guilty. 
Pearson is expected to return to the Capitol in Nashville later today when the House holds its next floor session and plans to be sworn in there. The appointments of Jones and Pearson are interim positions. Special elections for the seats will take place in the coming months. Both say they will run in the special elections. And sticking with politics, a Democrat and California congressman is calling for the resignation of a longtime senator from the same party. Representative Rokana called for Senator Dianne Feinstein to resign in a social media post yesterday. Kana wrote on Twitter that it was obvious the 89-year-old could no longer fulfill her duties. Feinstein and Kana represent California in Congress. Feinstein has been away from the Senate receiving treatment for shingles since March. The senator has missed 60 of the 82 Senate votes so far this year. Republican Eric Early announced Tuesday he's entering the 2024 contest to replace Feinstein. Meanwhile, Senator Feinstein says she will return to Washington once her medical team says it's safe for her to travel. Feinstein says she will work closely with Majority Leader Chuck Schumer on how to deal with her absence from the Judiciary Committee. And U.S. annual inflation has fallen to its lowest level since May 2021. A new report out Wednesday found U.S. consumer prices are continuing to cool down. Yesterday's report shows consumer prices rose in March by 5% year-over-year. That's down from 6% in February, and it marks the ninth straight month of slowing inflation. But the rate is still far away from the Federal Reserve's target, and the main issue is that core inflation, which excludes food and energy costs, those numbers remain high. They're up 5.6% year-over-year. This means higher rent and housing and other costs such as transportation are still very elevated. The latest report is adding to the debate around what the Fed will do at their next meeting, either pause interest rate hikes or increase them to further cool down the overheated economy. Joining us live to discuss this is Joseph Trevisani, a senior analyst at FX Street who has over 30 years of experience in financial markets. It's great to have you on the show today, Joseph. Good morning. Thank you for having me. What do these numbers mean for Americans? Is inflation in the U.S. finally letting up? Well, the inflation burst that we saw over the past, say, 18 months was really the product of three factors. One was government spending. Two was the Fed's flooding the economy with uh, liquidity. And, of course, the supply issues um, relating to the lockdown and then the permanence of that. All three of those things have started to ease. The supply issues are getting better. I think they're probably mostly finished. Uh, The government has stopped spending in that burst at that rate. And the Fed, of course, has reversed its policies. So things are easing up a bit. That's good that you explain the interplay between government spending and how these supply chain issues are letting up. Can you explain the relationship between inflation, the banking crisis, which might actually ease inflation because they don't want to lend as much, thus slowing the economy, and fears of a 50% chance of a recession over the next year? Yeah, we had an interesting um, bit of from the Fed Fed minutes yesterday, where the Fed said that they're you know sort of expecting a weak recession. Well, that tells you what the Fed is looking at going forward. Inflation will the classic way to handle inflation is to raise rates and put the economy either in a slowdown or a recession. So the Fed that is still operative as the base of Fed policy. So that is not going to change. The Fed is, I think, was a bit surprised that you're not getting as much of a slowdown as they expected, but it is having some effect on inflation. What should Americans be looking for right now so they know how to vote, what to buy, how much to save, you name it? 
Well, I mean, Americans are going to be, you're still seeing inflation. And after all, before the burst of inflation that we saw the past 18 months, inflation was running 2% or lower. We're now more than double that. And it's still a very hefty burden for most families. The, one of the interesting numbers we saw yesterday is that core inflation is actually higher than um, overall inflation. And part of the reason for that is actually some of the supply chain issues um, have eased for food prices and other things. And that brought down overall inflation, leaving core inflation still higher. Such a big issue. I know it's been a burden for families. Joseph Trevisani, a senior analyst at FX Street, thank you so much for your analysis. Thank you very much for having me. A Biden administration policy has been struck down by the court. A federal judge has temporarily blocked the implementation of the administration's water rule. Here are the details. U.S. District Judge Daniel L. Hovland of North Dakota on Wednesday issued an injunction against the Biden administration's Waters of the United States rule. This comes at the request of a coalition of 24 states and more than a dozen industry groups. Late last year, the Environmental Protection Agency, or EPA, announced its final version of the water rule. It broadens what types of water sources were subject to federal regulation, covering thousands of small streams, wetlands, and other waterways throughout the nation. A coalition of 24 states led by West Virginia Attorney General Patrick Morrissey challenged the rule. They argued in a lawsuit that the new rule is an example of federal overreach and would unfairly burden farmers and ranchers. The judge agreed to pause the enforcement of the water rule while the lawsuit plays out. He wrote, it would ensure that federal agencies do not extend their power beyond the express delegation from Congress. Morrissey celebrated the court's decision as a victory for state rights. The water rule is, in his words, a decades-long effort by the EPA to regulate purely intrastate waters without the explicit consent of lawmakers. The latest ruling comes less than a week after President Biden vetoed a congressional resolution that would have repealed the water rule. On Wednesday, the EPA said in a statement that it was reviewing the court's decision, but the agency stood by its new regulations. National Public Radio, or NPR, announced it's quitting Twitter yesterday. That's after the social media platform labeled NPR's main account as state-affiliated media last week. Twitter changed the label to government-funded media, but NPR says it's still misleading. The company said in a statement that it'll no longer be active on Twitter because, quote, the platform is taking actions that undermine our credibility by falsely implying that we are not editorially independent. Musk responded on Twitter, saying NPR literally said federal funding is essential to public radio on their own website, now taken down. What hypocrites! Twitter also changed a label on the main BBC account, saying it is publicly funded instead of government-funded media, after the broadcaster objected. And Musk made headlines after an intense exchange with a BBC reporter late Tuesday over claims that hateful content has increased on the social media platform since he took over. Hateful? What do you mean to describe a hateful thing? Yeah, I mean, you know, just content that will solicit a reaction, something that may include something that is slightly racist or slightly sexist, those kinds of, those kinds of things. So you think if I'm, something is slightly sexist, it should be banned? I, no, is I'm, that not, what you're saying? I'm not saying anything. I'm saying... Well, I'm just curious. What you, I'm, I'm trying to understand what you mean by hateful con content. And I'm asking for specific examples. Um, and, if, and you just said that if something is slightly sexist, that's hateful. 
content. Does that mean that it should be banned? Well, you've asked me, you've asked me whether my feed, whether it's got less or more. It, I'd say it's got slightly more. That's why I'm asking for examples. Can, right. you, can you name one example? I, I honestly don't need, I, I, honestly, you I don't. You can't name I, a single example. I'll tell you why, because I don't actually use that for you feed anymore, because I, I just don't particularly like it. You said actually, a lot, of people, a lot of people are quite similar. I, 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 only, well, I only look well, at my Hang on a second. You said you've seen more hateful content, but you can't name a single example, not even one. Coming up, Shen Yin Performing Arts is in the middle of a worldwide tour. But beyond the stage lights, some artists' families face life-threatening oppression in China. E-cigarette maker Juul has agreed to a settlement with six states. It was accused of unlawfully marketing its addictive products to minors. Find out how much it's going to cost them after the break. Good to have you back with us. Former UK Prime Minister Liz Truss has some stern words about French President Emmanuel Macron's recent visit to China. Truss says looking to communist regime leader Xi Jinping for a solution to the conflict in Ukraine is a mistake and a sign of weakness. She criticized Macron for his lackluster stance on Taiwan. Entity's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the former Prime Minister's comments. The idea that we can treat China as just another global player is, is wrong. It is a totalitarian regime and we need to adapt our policies accordingly and we need to be... Trust was speaking at the 2023 Margaret Thatcher Freedom Lecture hosted by the Heritage Foundation in Washington, D.C. on Wednesday. The former U.K. Prime Minister criticized French President Emmanuel Macron for his proposed stance on Europe staying out of issues regarding Taiwan. And supporting Taiwan is not a distraction from supporting Ukraine. Putin and Xi have made it very clear that they are allies against Western capitalism. Trust believes looking to the leader of the Chinese Communist Party, or CCP, for a resolution to the conflict in Ukraine is a sign of weakness. She says Western allies need to work together and be much more skeptical about statements and promises made by the CCP. The British politician condemned Macron and Ursula von der Leyen's recent visit to China. I think it was a mistake. I think it showed a divide in the West which doesn't exist. And I also believe that we should be much, much tougher on supporting Taiwan at this juncture. Trust says Macron is wrong to suggest Taiwan is not of direct interest to Europe and that Europe should be doing all it can to support Taiwan in defending itself. The Chinese regime's military declared Monday it is ready to fight after it finished large-scale combat exercises and a simulated blockade around Taiwan. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. More involving China, Chinese classical dance group Shen Yun is winning applause from a global audience. But beyond the stage lights, some of the artists' families are facing life-threatening oppression because of their beliefs. Here's the story Shen Yun principal dancer Stephen Wong shared with us. Stephen Wong was touring the globe with Shen Yun earlier this month when he learned his mother was sentenced to four years in prison in China. After her arrest, the detention center didn't allow visits or notify the family. We had no idea exactly what happened. Last July, Chinese police arrested his mother Liu in central Henan province. That marked the 69-year-old's 11th time in custody after spending eight years in various detention facilities. All this because of her faith, Falun Gong. 
Falun Gong is a spiritual belief centered on the moral teachings of truthfulness, compassion, and tolerance. Its followers number in the tens of millions worldwide. After its release to the public in 1992, its popularity soared across China. But years later, the number of Falun Gong practitioners rose to meet the count of the Chinese Communist Party members. The CCP began to see the practice's emphasis on spirituality and free thought as threat to its grip on power. By 1999, it had launched a sweeping persecution campaign against Falun Gong. Numerous practitioners like Liu were jailed, sentenced to labor camps, and even tortured to death. Among them was Wang's father. He died in 2009, after years in a Chinese prison. In 2008, Wang joined the Shen Yun Performing Arts Company in New York. For the past 15 years, he's tried to get his mother out of China and reunite in the U.S. But the regime stripped Liu of her freedom to travel. My parents weren't able to attend my graduation, my wedding, or witness the birth of their grandson. I have never experienced a complete family where parents and children are reunited. Wang and his sister turned to the international community for help in rescuing their mother. Not just my mother, but tens of thousands of people in China are being held for their belief in Falun Gong. I hope the U.S. will take a stand to stop this persecution. Wang explained that he's chosen to expose the truth and share his story through art. I am now a dancer in Shen Yun. Shen Yun's mission is to revive traditional Chinese culture. Through the performance, I am also telling the audience what is truly happening in China and the lies of the CCP. And Kevin, despite Shen Yun's portrayal of China, both ancient and present day, the performance is actually banned in mainland China, but it's well received around the world, with eight troops touring globally. Yes, and as we mentioned, they have earned worldwide acclaim in dozens of countries. I actually got to watch it recently in D.C. not long ago. It was truly a wonderful experience, but I won't spoil it too much. If you're curious about the performance, you can find the closest show near you on shenyun.org. That's right. E-cigarette maker Juul Labs has agreed to pay over $450 million to six U.S. states. The company agreed to the settlement to resolve claims that it unlawfully marketed its addictive products to minors. New York Attorney General Letitia James made the announcement yesterday. Juul has now settled with 45 states for more than $1 billion following the deal, although the company did not admit to any wrongdoing. The company still faces lawsuits in other states. Juul's former largest investor, Marlboro cigarette maker Altria Group, is also facing claims over its alleged role in marketing Juul's products. However, no settlement has been made to date. The e-cigarette company falsely led consumers to believe that its vapes were safer than cigarettes and contained less nicotine. However, just one pod of Juul contains as much nicotine as a whole pack of cigarettes. Altria last month announced that it had given up its investment in Juul in exchange for some of Juul's intellectual property. The company's shares of Juul was valued at $250 million as of December, a major drop from nearly $13 billion in 2018. And in other news, severe flooding in South Florida. A torrential storm yesterday brought close to a foot of rain in just a few hours around Fort Lauderdale. City officials urge residents and visitors to stay off the roads until the water subsides. The National Weather Service issued a flood, flash flood emergency. They said the situation was life-threatening and warned people to seek higher ground immediately. 
this Florida man decided to go for a swim down a flooded street. The city's airport was forced to shut down. Commuter train service in Broward County was suspended. A tornado warning was also issued. No deaths or injuries have been reported. The airport says operations will restart once the weather in the area improves. In a different city, rats in New York City better beware. The city has just appointed a new commanding general to combat the little vermin, which are roaming the neighborhoods in huge numbers. There's a new sheriff in town. <laughs> and with your help, we'll send those rats packing. You'll be seeing a lot of me and a lot less rats. <laughs> Mayor Eric Adams announced yesterday that Kathleen Karate has been appointed New York's first ever rat czar. Adams has often expressed a deep hatred for rats. He posted the job last year, seeking someone somewhat bloodthirsty and ready for wholesale slaughter. Karate is not new to the rat fighting game. The former education department employee previously oversaw rat mitigation efforts in the city's public schools. Official data shows that rat sightings have been on the rise in recent years. No exact figure on the city's rat population is known, but a study from 2014 suggests the figure is around 2 million. That equates to one rat for every four residents. Coming up, boxes of old letters provide a window into days gone by. We spoke to a retired professor and author who put the rare collection of letters into a book. Welcome back. A retired professor finds some old boxes filled with letters from days gone by. They provide a window into the lives of immigrants from over a century ago. The rare collection has been published in a book. Here's the story. This book contains something the author says is impossible to find in any society and culture. These are letters written by very ordinary people in their own words, and it's the kind of thing that is absolutely impossible to find anywhere. Pat O'Malley, a retired historian, found boxes upon boxes of old letters in a family home. Many had been put away for over 100 years and simply forgotten, but to her, these letters are priceless. Probably because it's my own people, and it says so much about my own background, my own heritage as an, as an Irish American, probably because I still remember some of these people people I had known as a child. Suddenly, the people she had only known from old pictures came to life. Her grandmother received letters from her friends that described their immigration to the U.S. We're talking about their lives looking for domestics in the homes of wealthy Americans. And that to them was a complete revelation to go from their little cottage in Ireland moving to a big mansion. It's what turned them into middle-class Americans. And as a historian, she also knows the value of such a rare collection. They'd already been hidden away for 100 years, so uh, I, I have made sure that I have transcribed that other people can read them easily. She sent the letters to the Boston College Library Archives, letters that reveal everyday lives in great detail. What did the ordinary mother or father, ordinary farmer have to say about everyday life? And, uh, I've spent about 20 years researching them, trying to figure out who they, what they're talking about, who these people were, well, where the places were. It was one day in the middle of the COVID pandemic when she decided to stop thinking about it and just put them all together into this book called So Far From Home. So 
I put it together. There it is. This enormous book, uh, 200 letters that are absolutely impossible to recapture anywhere else. She says it's a great way to remember people since we will live as long as our memory lasts. I think that's so touching, like learning how other people, especially your ancestors, lived in the past. Life was so different back then. Oh, yeah. And it's so touching, just like you said, you know, hearing about this immigrant's journey from Ireland to the Great Melting Pot. Exactly. And speaking of traveling, a one-year-old Australian shepherd went on an epic trek. The hardy dog crossed 150 miles of frozen Bering sea ice before being safely returned to his home in Alaska. Nanook wandered off from an Alaska island in the Bering Strait. He showed up a month later in the Bering Sea coastal community of Wales on Alaska's western coast. People posting pictures of the dog led to a happy reunion last week for Nanook and his owner. She says he may have ended up in Wales because the ice shifted while he was hunting. And except for a swollen leg with large bite marks, Nanook is in pretty good health. Oh, that's such a good thing to hear. <clears throat> and I love how he's got those bright whiskers. <laughs> it does seem like a happy dog despite all the trials. Yes. <laughs> and that's all from today's program. We'd love to hear from you at goodmorning at ntd.com. So shoot us an email if you'd like. Thanks for watching. I'm Tiffany Meyer. And I'm Kevin Hogan.